South Florida versus the world? That's what we have in both the NBA and Stanley Cup Finals as the Heat avoid being on the wrong side of history, albeit making history themselves as they'll face the Denver Nuggets, while the Panthers look to strike in Vegas to see if their postseason magic carpet ride will continue. I'll preview both series and share my prediction as to who will win it all. Oh, and a postmortem on the Celtics Game 7 flop at home and what lies ahead for them. An inspiring comeback by White Sox closer Liam Hendricks and a first-round upset Controversial remarks by Novak Djokovic and bad sportsmanship are the top stories at the French Open. June has arrived and so is the latest podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. A new month is here, but it's the same passionate, fiery sports talk that you've come to know and love, as I've got quite a bit to get into, as this is the J. Reels Podcast with your host, J. Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And now, we get into the home stretch. We get to this part of the sports calendar, not only is it a new month, and summer is literally three weeks away from officially beginning, but now the fall and winter sports start to see the sunset on the horizon. We are now into the finals. And with that, it's going to leave us with baseball as being the only sport left here for about another month and a half or so. And I get it that we still have the French Open that's taking place right now in tennis. The U.S. Open golf, which will take place over Father's Day weekend later on this month. The NBA and NHL drafts later on this month. And then when we get into July, especially later on toward the end of that month, we'll have... NFL training camps, then college football. So yes, not to say that the sports world is flatlined, but we all know that once we crown a champion in both of these sports, baseball is the only one that's going to be standing here. Obviously out of the four majors, and even with tournaments and big-time Grand Slam events, also Wimbledon, you got to throw that in there, in the latter part of June into July. But we know once we get to the top of the mountain in the NBA and NHL, that 
the landscape is going to be pretty quiet. Not to say it's barren, but we all know we're going to start heading into that sports dead zone part two that is literally just a few weeks away. But let's not dread over that. Let's not get all either sad or somber when it comes to our sports because the NBA is front and center, tipping off tonight out in Denver. And I'll get to the Celtics later on. Let's talk about the finals and see where these two teams stack up. When we look at the finals, and although there are a lot of parallels between the NBA and NHL, you have the one seed out west in both sports going up against the eighth seed in both sports. Those two eight seeds happen to be in the same South Florida region, albeit in different counties, but still. On top of that, the first team to make it into the NBA Finals that was in the playing tournament, that being the Heat, the Florida Panthers, the first eight seed to make it into the Stanley Cup Finals since the 06 Edmonton Oilers, as well as the first eight seed since the 99 Knicks for the Heat. So you have all that to play with, and even on top of that, you've had long layoffs for both the Panthers and the Nuggets. Granted that the Nuggets were a one seed, the Panthers an eight, like I mentioned, but the long layoffs and how that's going to play into it. And I'll start off with the Nuggets in that regard, because anytime that you've had a postseason where typically there's a long layoff, five, six, seven, sometimes more than a week, and with the Nuggets, it's been a week and a half. That series that concluded against the Lakers might as well have been Easter. But for Denver and everything that they've done here in this postseason up to this point, and how dominant they've been, they only lost the one game in the opening series against the T-Wolves. All right, no shock there. They did lose the two middle games against the Phoenix Suns, but then took care of business on the back two games, including the game six on the road, which to me, that was a statement game, knowing that, This probably could have been a seven-game series, and even with Chris Paul out of the lineup, and they didn't have DeAndre Ayton, who, as we all know, just fell apart here. But winning by 25 in Phoenix was one of those games that made me raise my eyebrows to think, "Uh uh-oh, this could be Denver's year, which is also similar to Vegas, and I'll get to them in a little bit. But then they sweep the Lakers, and although they were all close games, but they showed their toughness, they showed their mettle, they didn't melt down, they didn't unfold, and... That's the sign of a championship team. Now, after this long layoff in which their coach, Mike Malone, even said that to get any type of rhythm has been tough, that the anticipation of who they're going to play in an NBA final, even as early as Monday afternoon prior to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, even he said that the anticipation was killing him. And you have to wonder whether or not that's coming from your coach. And if he's trying to put all the focus and attention on him, okay, fine, and not the players, but it does start from him on down. And whatever message that he's been pushing to his team, especially over the last 10 days, you wonder if it's permeated throughout the locker room. And it's not to say it's a bad thing, but is it really a good thing? Where you're saying, hey guys, we don't know who we're going to play. We just have to wait another 24 hours, or we have to worry about the zone defense of the Heat or the wildly inconsistent but very talented Celtic team and trying to get that game rhythm and crowds. And I get it. It's analysis by paralysis, not only from yours truly, but even from the coach. But based on some of the things you've said, you have to 
just keep in the back of your mind to wonder whether or not that's going to play into effect here, especially tonight in the first half of this game. Because I'm sure they're going to press. I'm sure they're going to try to be as loose as possible. They're in their building, the altitude, etc. But the Heat just came off of a psychologically grueling series, knowing that they almost blew a 0-3, or I should say a 3-0 lead in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then having to win the way they did in Boston to fly out to Denver. And now that they've settled in, that at least they have that momentum that's going to carry them into this NBA final where the Nuggets have been sitting around. And once you get to the first half, I would think, depending on how the Heat come out, how they're going to attack not only Jokic, but also even from the offensive side, because I'm sure they're going to want to play that slow, methodical, typical Miami Heat basketball. They're not going to run up and down the floor and fast break you to death, where Denver, a little bit more up-tempo. We know that the offense is going to run through Jokic. That's going to be a beast unto itself for the Miami Heat to deal with. But when we take a look at Denver at this very moment, how they're going to come out of this game is going to be telling. If they go up one love in the series, it doesn't mean the series is over, but it's going to say a lot more about Denver than it will Miami. And if that's going to be the case, it's going to be an uphill battle for Miami, and I think it's going to be already uphill for them to try to win this series. But if they're going to come out of the gate flying and hold off the Nuggets till the very end and come out victorious, I think that's going to be an interesting sign for what this series could be when it's all said and done. So Denver, how they're going to show themselves in the first 24 minutes, I think it's going to be key. No, not just the first quarter. No, not just the first five or six minutes. None of that. What we see at halftime is going to be indicative. If it's a close game, all right, fine. Then the Nuggets will probably take that and run with it. If the Heat are up by double digits, that's not to say the game is over, but that's going to show you whether or not they've come out a little bit flat, they've come out a little bit rusty, etc., and how the next 24 minutes is going to be indicative, not necessarily for the series, but at least for the early tempo of the series as to Miami playing tough, the, all the grit that they've had and everything that I've talked about here over the last two months, you would think that that's going to bubble to the surface here if they have, let's say, a 49-38 halftime lead. So those are things that we're going to have to look at, especially tonight. And if you're hearing this today, God bless you. If you're hearing this on Sunday, maybe a different story. But Denver, how they come out is storyline number one. And storyline number two, I think, is what are the Heat going to do when it comes to Nikola Jokic? I know that zone offense, I'm sure they're going to employ that. Maybe not early. Maybe not right out of the gate. But I would think if the tide starts to really go into the Nuggets' favor, and let's say they get out to a big lead early, I'm sure they're going to try to do whatever they can to slow the big man down, the two-time MVP, because we all know that once he gets going, and as great of a facilitator as he is, as well as a shot maker and attacking the basket, etc., to me, that is going to be one of the biggest key, if not the biggest key of this series. Because you would think that Jamal Murray's going to get his points. Michael Porter Jr., although very inconsistent, he'll have his moments. And we know Nikola Jokic, you can't stop him. You could only hope to contain him to take the old line from, was that, Kenny Mayne? 
back in the day, or maybe it was even Stu Scott. May he rest in peace. But for the Heat to try to slow down Jokic and how they're going to do that, because the team is not big and has does not have a lot of length. You have Bam Adebayo and pretty much nobody else. Who are you going to throw? Kevin Love on him? Kevin Love we know is a big body and he may play a big part here. Cody Zeller? Not to compare the Celtics, but at least they could throw Horford, they could throw Robert Williams to try to do what they can to slow down Jokic. But the Heat, and let's face it, Bam Adebayo, though he's a big, but he's not 6'11". He's not 7'1". What is Bam? 6'9", 6'10", on a good day? And Jokic is 7 foot. So, we could break this down to the cows come home, but when it's all said and done... What Miami's going to do to try to slow him down is going to be of the utmost importance. And I understand everybody across the country saying that, and I'm just throwing my hat in the ring. But yes, we could look at some of the other players on the team that's going to be a factor. The aforementioned Porter, Murray, you want to say Contavious, Caldwell Pope, Bruce Brown, etc. But no, we know that this is all about Nikola Jokic. Because even if Murray goes off, for 35, even 40 points, what is Jokic going to do? We know if that's going to be the case for Murray, you would think Jokic is going to have somewhere in the vicinity of 12, 14, 15 assists because he's going to be feeding him the ball on top of 15 rebounds. And even if he only has 18 points, but that's a triple-double, I'm sure Jokic would be more than happy with as long as they win the game. It's not as if he has to score 30, 18 and 12 in order for them to not only win a game, but win a title. And then the other thing is, for the Heat, the Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, and even Tyler Harrow, who's going to come back in the mix. He said he may be ready by game three. What that's going to do to not only add more scoring to this team, but is it going to, dare I say, upset the apple cart, so to speak? And they're going to gradually bring in Hero. It's not like he's going to come in and automatically he's going to play a zillion minutes. But knowing that Caleb Martin, who has been a force, and I thought should have won the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals. I get it. Why they gave it to Jimmy Butler. But Caleb Martin was just, and I'm going to get to him later on, and I've talked about him just ad nauseum here over the last couple of weeks. But to have the Martin, Vincent, also Kyle Lowry, because he has that championship pedigree with Toronto and then also to have Hero in the mix what that's going to do for their offense is it going to enhance it or is it actually going to maybe even take a step back because Hero you know is going to be chomping at the bit to play Hero's a guy that they're going to need his scoring because as we all know the Nuggets who score with the best of them and once he comes back and the games will be in Miami at that time you know he's going to try to get his fingerprints all over these games and these series considering he has not played since the very first game against Milwaukee in the opening round. And Eric Spolster, we all know how great of a coach he is. You know he's going to temper him and his minutes and try to just slowly but surely bring him in. And we know that he culture, so it's not as if he's going to try to be the, no pun intended, hero offensively for the Miami Heat. But you do have to wonder how he's going to be able to navigate that knowing that he has a player that can score that can be an impact but also being able to rein him in knowing that you have other guys that could also contribute and have contributed throughout this whole playoff run and being able to disseminate those minutes and also try to I don't want to say coddle 
but also let Hero know that, hey, if it's not your time or if you come off the bench in eight or nine minutes and you shoot one for six, well, I'm going to have to have you sit and cool off here for a little bit because I have other guys who could contribute and have contributed throughout this run. So that's another thing for Miami. If they're going to win this series, they're going to need all hands on deck as we know. But Hero is a guy that could play a big part here. And a guy that obviously has not seen the floor since game one of this entire postseason, which is going on two months. So how he and the other guys that I mentioned play into that is going to be enormous. Especially if they're going to win this series. How I look at this overall, it's a Nuggets year. I said that last week. I said that even going back to that statement game that they had against Phoenix saying that Denver's going to be a tough out. And I understand this layoff is going to be big, but again, it's only going to be for one half. At least I would think. And again, it's not Miami is the type of team, although they have scored and they've shut me up here, but it's not as if they're going up against an offensive juggernaut there. There's no D-Wade, Chris Bosh, or LeBron that's waiting and coming out of that Miami locker room here for game one. So, what that's going to be like here in these opening two games, especially tonight, to me, it's not going to be the end-all, be-all of what this series is going to take into shape or take into its form, but I think it's going to be telling on whether or not this one game, and one game is not a series, I know, but as to if this is going to be a long series or a short series. Now, based on what I've seen with the Heat, I'm going to pick the Nuggets at six. I think Miami's going to win two games just based on their will, their toughness, their competitiveness, all that. We know the Celtics were a more talented team, but they're erratic. Denver has it together. They've been down this road before. I understand that this is the first time in an NBA Finals, but when I say been down this road... They've shown that they've been battle-tested throughout this postseason. Maybe not more so than Miami over the last few years, but because of the talent, because of the former MVP, because of their one seed, and that doesn't automatically mean that they're going to win a title, but I think all that combined is a recipe for them to win this series. Miami will be heard from, but I don't think that they're going to be able to outlast, and this will be a tremendous upset because Denver is a big favorite to win the series. So just on that alone, I have to pick Denver to win six. I want to say five. And that's not because they just beat the Celtics by any means. It's just based on everything that I said, and I wouldn't be surprised they won in five games. Can you see them winning the first two in Denver, getting a split in Miami, and then game five in their building? I can see that. But I think it'll go six. And that's where I have it here for this NBA final. As for the Celtics, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, that was a tremendous flop there Monday night. After what took place there Saturday in Miami, the miracle put back by Derek White, and then, I get it, the first possession of the game, Jason Tatum rolls his ankle, wasn't the same after that, and here I am as a fan, trying to channel whatever Mamba mentality to Jason Tatum, because as we all know, that was his idol growing up, and talks about Kobe all the time. And I understand, if it's in your DNA, it's in your DNA. And who am I to tell Jason Tatum to fight through it? And he did fight through it. He played 42 minutes. But he was on a bad wheel. And who knows? There, For every Kobe Bryant, there's a million other guys that aren't him. 
And I'm not trying to compare Kobe to Jason Tatum by any stretch. But again, that mama mentality, I know it kicked in and he gutted it out. But 14 points in the game was pretty much a decoy in that first half just being out on the floor. But he was wincing throughout. And you just knew that was the beginning of the end. Even though they got off to a good start, they made four of the first six shots. They had a 9-4 lead. And then after that, the game just imploded. And what could you say? Jalen Brown had a game that you just want to erase from your memory bank. And I'm going to get to him in a minute. They didn't play with any defensive intensity that they did in the three previous games. And Caleb Martin, a.k.a. Clay Thompson 2.0, couldn't miss a shot. Was 11 for 15, 26 points, 10 rebounds. And the heat went going away. There isn't much else to say than that, sadly. All right, they cut it to... Eight one time and even the seven at one point. What was it? Maybe the late third quarter, but they had no answers. And it was just a flat out dud. They couldn't bring out all the Celtic ghosts from the past. And that building, think about this. They lost 11 postseason games in that building in the last two years. And that's a disgrace. No matter how you cut it. We understand it's not the old Boston Garden. We get it that TD Garden is not a house of horrors or it's not the dead spots in the floor like the old Boston Garden, but man, 11 postseason games lost in that building, including Game 7 this year, Game 6 last year against Golden State, countless other games in between, and think about this, Miami beat us three times in that building, including a Game 7, which is what exactly the Celtics did last year to the Miami Heat, and they couldn't make history where the Heat did by becoming the first playing team to make it into the finals, as I said earlier. And now it's an offseason where you're going to have the biggest question mark being Jalen Brown. By him being All-NBA second team, he is eligible for a five-year, $295 million deal, which is, if I'm the GM, I'm not paying him. But you may have no choice. And all these stupid rumors that you hear, I read Carl Anthony Towns coming to the Celtics for Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, Derek White, The 2024 and 2026 first round picks, there is no way, shape, in hell that I would do that. And that's no offense to Carl Anthony Towns, but what are you going to do? You're going to have to pay Jason Tatum five years, $318 million on top of Jalen Brown's $295, and Carl Anthony Towns is not coming cheap. You're going to have no bench, no depth, but you're going to have three big horses on your team. And what has Carl Anthony Towns won in his NBA career? Yes, I'm still waiting. So that's a trade I would not make. And I get it that the Portland rumor could be out there. Anthony Simons, the number three overall for Jason for Jalen Brown. I don't even know if I'd do that. I would do that more so than the Minnesota trade. But you may have to stick with him. Because with the CBA and what's going to happen there, that is a whole other set of encyclopedias that I'll get into the offseason once the NBA rumor mill starts swirling come July 1st. But right now, if you're a Celtic fan, you can't be happy with the way the season ended. You really have to contemplate whether or not you want Jalen Brown back. We know he's a good player to a very good player. He is not a $295 million player. And I get it with the way the stipulations are, becoming second team All-NBA, super max, he's going to get that. He's not going to get a hometown discount. We understand he's a cerebral guy. He's not a guy that is going to be all about him. But at the end of the day, he's going to want his big payday. We know the type of game he has. He's got to work on that ball handling times 10. And 
They also need a point guard in the worst way. We understand it's a thing of the past, the prototypical point guard, but Jalen Brown, he's a streaky player. His defense has gone a little bit backwards this year, and that is going to be a tough call, and thankfully, I am not the Celtics GM, but as of right this second, I got to think of other options. I know the emotions are still raw as a Celtic fan, but I wouldn't give him that money. But as we get closer to free agency and all that, I'll have a better and clear understanding of what I really feel. I think they're going to end up keeping him at the end of the day. They're going to want to go through this. Will they blow it up? I don't know. But it's a very tough call. And I'll just keep it at that. As for the NHL and the Stanley Cup Finals, the Magic Carpet Ride of the Panthers... I think they have a better shot to win the Stanley Cup than the Heat do for an NBA championship. But here are the questions surrounding this Cup Final. One has to be the rust and just the momentum that this Panther team has had that they've had all this time off. It's going to be eight days before they play a hockey game and it's going to be out in Vegas. And granted, it's not Toronto or Hockey Town USA in Detroit, but that is a good fan base there. Because it's the first team that has been introduced to the sports landscape, they hang their head on that team. It's not the Vegas Raiders, where obviously they're born and raised in Oakland. And you would think that this fan base is going to be chomping at the bit to kind of get that championship that they didn't get back in 2018 when they lost to the Capitals. So stemming that tide coming into this game is going to be huge. And whether Rust is going to play a big part in that. Now to have a tremendous leader and a one Matthew Kachuk as we saw his exploits there in the previous series and throughout the whole postseason for that matter, but especially what he did against the Carolina Hurricanes, winning those games in overtime, clutch goals, goals in the final seconds, etc. But now can they pick up where they left off in that Hurricane series prior to that, starting off with the Bruins series and Toronto, can they do that? Because when you are on such a magic ride and on cloud nine and playing well above anybody could have ever imagined, now all of a sudden the dust has settled and now you have to regroup and start all over again. And you're going up against a one seed who, now I'll cut to it, Vegas had their statement game similar to the Nuggets in that series against the Suns beating Dallas there on Monday night. Or was it Tuesday? No, it was Monday night. For them to come out of the gate with a goal, what was it? 341 into the first period. And then to get that power play goal halfway through the period. And before you know it, it's 3 nothing at the end of one. And they go on and cruise to a 6 nothing win where Dallas just ran out of gas. And had no answers for Vegas whatsoever. So, knowing that Vegas did not fool around. And did not push it to a Game 7 where they had the comforts in their own building. And we all know Game 7s are toss-ups. And they had an opportunity to even fall into that same trap that the Heat did by having a 3-0 series lead and by them going to the potential of a Game 7 where Dallas could have had an opportunity to come back and win a series, but they said, "Uh uh-uh. They pushed the pedal to the metal and put the proverbial foot on their necks so where Dallas couldn't get up. And now you had a scenario where Vegas meant business, took care of business, and now here they are in the Stanley Cup Final. Which will lead to the second thing in Vegas. Are they also going to not fool around here, knowing that the Panthers have a lot of momentum and a lot of life, even with all this time off, 
And could they make this a short series? Because as we've seen, generally the team that's riding hot and has a long layoff, they'll cool off considerably. And Vegas, they just played three nights ago. Now, granted, the Stanley Cup Finals not going to start until Saturday night, but they at least played hockey within this past week where the Panthers, it's going to be eight days before they've even played a game. And the game is in their building in Vegas, T-Mobile Arena, and with everything that's transpired with this team throughout the course of the year and all the expectations and a one seed, etc., are they not going to let the Panthers get any type of life here, especially knowing that the first two games are at home? Because if they go up to love, that's not to say the Panthers can't get back in the series, but again, if they mean business, take care of business. If the Panthers get out to a, a 1-0 lead, or if they tie the series going back to South Florida, then you got to wonder whether or not Vegas is going to be able to handle this Panther team. I think they will when it's all said and done, but those are a couple of storylines. And the last storyline, which I think is huge, and... The hockey expert has to shut up, including me, and I'm not the expert, but watching closely, Sergei Bobrovsky's had the playoff that nobody even ever thought that he could have. We all know that he's had this cloud over him where in big spots, he seems to melt. And he has been just heroic here throughout the course of this playoff run. Does he have one more series in him? Now, it's not as if he's going up against Patrick Wall on the other end. Aiden Hill who's a guy that obviously has been very good throughout this postseason. So you can't just all of a sudden think that the goaltending advantage is right away to the Florida Panthers. But if Bobrovsky could continue to play well and keep his team in games and not give up that soft goal, that bad goal, or like I like to say, the label reader, where as the puck is going right past him, you can read the NHL logo and the commissioner's name, etc. As long as he doesn't do that, they'll be fine. But will the clock strike 12 on Bobrovsky here, considering that he's just been steamrolling throughout the course of the last six to seven weeks? And now when the games are, it's for all the marbles. How is he going to perform here on the biggest stage? And I know they're coming in with a lot of firepower and a lot of just adrenaline, etc. But I think this is going to be Vegas' year, similar to Denver. I could see this being a solid six games where I think maybe the Nuggets will win in five. I could see a solid six because Florida, I'd be shocked if they don't show up in the series. I really would. Now Vegas, as we all know, they could have those games, whether it's game six against Dallas, game three against Edmonton where they just blitzed them and won 5-1 on the road. They could play that type of game. Vegas is going to win it when it's all said and done, but I think it's going to be six. And the Panthers, I just hope that both of these series are good series, entertaining series, and maybe even long series where they're both six games. And I think they could reach that, more so in the NHL than the NBA. But that's what I have here as far as both finals, as we get closer to crowning these champions, as I mentioned, and get ready to turn the corner as the sports calendar starts to get more into the baseball and into the summer months as we say goodbye to the fall and winter sports. All right, now as I put on my cleats, get in the batter's box and talk a little baseball, not much to really report here as far as what's going on, the diamond, but the big story out of the last few days was the return of a one Liam Hendricks, and 
I know I hadn't really brought this up even when he was on the comeback trail and knowing that in December he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and knowing that, what was it, early December that that happened and him having to go through treatments and to try to get himself just physically right, not even thinking about getting back on a pitcher's mound. And there he was on Monday night, less than six months after being diagnosed and everything that he had to go through. There he is between before the game, during warm-ups, him coming out of the bullpen there, I believe it was in the eighth inning, and just the raucous ovation that he got from the White Sox faithful. And in the one inning, he did give up a couple of runs, three hits, but that's not even the point. Just him getting back on the mound, and I'm sure he was nervous as all hell. You could see he was taking in the whole moment, and just tremendous. And we could only hope that from here on out, it could be smooth sailing, for a guy who was the former closer there, the Oakland A's, and has had success here in the major leagues, and a White Sox team that has underachieved, let's face it, and who knows if they're going to get themselves back in the mix, although the AL Central is very weak, but for Hendricks to be able to, think about that, less than six months, for him to get back on a pitcher's mound, and even though... All right, he got smacked around there a little bit, and that's not the story, but just him getting back on the mound, as I mentioned, just tremendous. Very inspiring. Kudos to him. One of the great stories that you'll see in quite some time, especially this year when it comes to the world of sports, and wish him nothing but just great health, success this year, and if you didn't see that, that was, like I said, something that was just in awe and super inspiring, and you can only hope that he goes on and has a prosperous and long career, and as he continues to pitch here in the major leagues. But other than that, nothing else really to get into. Some of the series, I know the Yankees won two out of three in Seattle. Last night, it went to extra innings, and he got a walk-off there in the 10th for the Mariners, who go to Texas and have a big series there with the Rangers. So that's one to watch early on. And you have a few interesting series this weekend, which is headlined by Yankees-Dodgers. Chavez Ravine, Clayton Kershaw is going to pitch against Luis Severino tomorrow night. Game on Fox there Saturday. Game on ESPN, so you know it's going to be showcased throughout America. We'll get to recap that there on Monday. So that is a high-profile series, if there ever is one, when you have East Coast, West Coast, New York, LA, Yankees-Dodgers. I mean, what isn't there to like there when you have that whole makeup of both of these organizations facing off against one another. So that is the highlight. You also have Tampa going up to Boston. That's one you have to pay attention to. Toronto, they're going to come play the Mets here this weekend. So maybe you want to look at that to see where the Jays and how they're trying to turn their season around as they're at the bottom of the AL East. And other than that, you don't have really much. Baltimore and San Francisco, eh, not too much there. I know the Giants are hovering there around 500 and ahead of San Diego there in the NL West. But other than that, you don't really have much as baseball will be front and center here. And as I mentioned there on Monday's podcast, is it flying under the radar? Is it one that people aren't really paying attention to? This is the previous Monday, I should say, where Major League Baseball is on the map, but at the same time, have a lot of people really, even with all the rule changes, even with the speed of the game and just the quickness, the tempo, etc., have people really wrap their arms around it to the point where it's going to be in everybody's consciousness once the NBA and NHL seasons are done. For this guy, you know, I love baseball, and that's going to be the case, but I don't know. 
we're going to get to see if baseball will now take over and have some interesting storylines. And we all know it's top-heavy as far as competitive balance. And all you got to do is go back to Monday's podcast to really have me dissect what's happening throughout the entire landscape. But yes, all we're going to be talking about most of the year is baseball, among other things, of course. And let's see if it's going to have any traction as we get deeper into the month, into July, the dog days of August, etc., before we could talk about football there in late August and into September. And now as I break out my tennis racket, first time me saying that, as we talk about the French Open, and we have one upset that's already in the books. First round, number two ranked men's player in the world, Daniil Medvedev, bows out rather quietly to a player that I believe was ranked 173rd in the world and has not won a Grand Slam match. And my apologies for not even bringing up his name, but... Medvedev, I don't know, maybe he thought that he was still on vacation before heading over to Roland Garros and decided to say, ah, you know what, I'll see you guys at Wimbledon. I don't know what it was for, and that's not to discredit the player who beat him, but for Medvedev, who we all know was going to be a guy maybe to chase and track down Novak Djokovic as a guy that could probably upset, which we would think would be a fast track for... Novak to get himself the 23rd Grand Slam to be the all-time leader to surpass Rafael Nadal for men's Grand Slam singles titles. But for Medvedev to just not even show up. I mean, listen, if this was a long five-setter that took five hours and was just outlasted by this guy, all right, fine. But for Medvedev to not even show here, to be bounced and it happens, I get it. You do get the occasional first-round upset, but that was one that no one saw coming and was rather shocking. So one guy already off of the docket as far as maybe even threatening Novak Djokovic to get himself to a final and win it. And speaking of Novak Djokovic, I know he's made some comments here recently with what's going on there in Kosovo. And I'm not well versed on this people by any stretch, but I know that there's been some strife there where there's, as I pull this up here, because I don't have this off the top of my head. But I know there were some comments. He wrote something on the camera where there's political tension there. And I know his father grew up in a town in northern Kosovo and was standing by some comments that he mentioned. And let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Where I know it pissed off the France minister who said his comments were not appropriate and shouldn't happen again. And even though Novak, he did come out and say that the heart of Serbia is in Kosovo and did reflect on his comments by saying that he would say it again. He doesn't need to because you have my quotes if you want to reflect on that. He is aware that a lot of people would disagree, but it is what it is. It's something that I stand for, so that's all. So I'm not, again, in tune for what's going on in that part of the world, but for whatever the reason, that caused a stir there at the French Open, especially with the Sports Minister there, Amelie Udra-Castera. And then also received some criticism from the Kosovan Tennis Federation. So you add all that up. And Djokovic, who, as we all know, is the favorite to win the men's side, now had these comments. I don't know if that's going to distract him. I don't know if that's going to have any type of disruption as far as his play goes. I don't know if that's going to be brought up by the media throughout the course of this tournament where it could affect him and affect his play. Who knows? But you would think... Djokovic is going to put this aside. He's pretty much a robot. 
and will do his best to try to get that 23rd Grand Slam title when it's all said and done. And then you had this other incident with Arena Sabalenka and another player who she faced the other day in a one Marta Kostyuk. Now, Kostyuk is from Ukraine, so you know where I'm going with this. And Sabalenka is from Belarus, which happens to be, and not that I'm Mr. Geography by any stretch, but of course, Belarus, the allegiance towards Russia, where after Sabalenka in her match the other day, won in straight sets over Kostyuk, 6-3-6-2, and even though Kostyuk went to shake the hand of the official, but did not shake Sabalenka's hand, with Sabalenka being from Belarus and Kostyuk being from Ukraine, she's like, "Uh uh-uh, later for you, which a lot of people thought is that bad sportsmanship or sportswomanship, whatever you want to call it. And listen, if that's her right, I get it. It may not be fair. And you would think maybe even a fist bump or just some sort of acknowledgement. And it's not as if Sabalenka, and I get it, the allegiance, etc. But... That's a tough line to walk on because if she truly feels in her heart and not to say that Sabalenka maybe in her eyes is the enemy and it's a situation where she doesn't want to, from her country, have anybody look at her to be like, hey, why'd you shake her hand? If that's how she feels, I understand you may not like it and you want to see some type of sportsmanship, but how can I kill her? How can I knock her? This is more than goes well beyond sports. And if that's what's in her heart, and even if she looks at Sabalenka as an enemy in that regard, is that a little strong? I would say yes. But if the correlation and the connection is there and she doesn't want to acknowledge it, so be it. That's how I look at it. Because it's not a thing where She got robbed of points. It's not a situation where she lost unfairly or let's say even Sabalenka was trying to show some gamesmanship like let's say going into the bathroom and spending 10 minutes there or getting excessive drinks of water or dropping a racket to tie her sneakers, doing things like that which would upset her, frustrate her and then walked off and didn't shake her hand and maybe she would even have a little bit of a right to do that then. But we all know that it would be gamesmanship on Sabalenka's part to try to throw her off her game. And that may be even more of an instance where you would look at as Kostyuk not wanting to shake her hand. But in this case, even though it was fair and square, but she went to the official and said, peace out, I'm ghost. And I get it. There's going to be a faction of people who are going to say, ah, Boo on you, come on. She has nothing to do with what's going on between Ukraine and Russia, etc., etc. But again, if that's in her heart, and if she feels that her allegiance is to her country, and that would be a way of, this may sound strong, but stabbing her country in the back by shaking the hand of someone from Belarus or Russia, etc. Who am I to say? Who am I to judge? I can't kill her on that. And obviously I'm not in her shoes to think that what she did was wrong or what she did was right. Of course, on the surface, you're going to think, no, it's not right. 100%. 
Even just sort of acknowledgement. Maybe if she just waved and walked off or whatever. But, again, I'm not walking in her shoes. I don't know what's going on in her mind and in her heart. Because I'm sure that, yes, the classy thing to do would be to just do that, but she didn't. And one more time, who am I to say or judge, especially with what's gone on there in that part of the world over the last, what, 15, 18 months, maybe even longer? For me to say, ah, screw you, Marta Kostiuk. That was a bad job on your part. Yeah, I understand it's not a good optic. I'll say that. But because of what's gone on, <laughs> all right, I feel you. It's all good. I don't know if Sabalenka looked at that as a scenario where she felt slighted or knocked. I know in the post-match comments she did say that Russian athletes or Belarusian athletes that support the war and even she came out and said how can we support it any normal person will never support that but of course Kostiuk is not going to think that and who knows maybe she has to change her heart based on what she said or maybe she doesn't who knows but what's done is done if they match up in Wimbledon or in the US Open maybe she'll have a different tune maybe she won't we'll just have to wait and see But the tournament overall, not a lot of drama. I understand Medvedev, but you have more off-the-court stuff. Uh, I understand in this case with Kostiuk and Sabalenka, I was on the court. But those have been the storylines more so than what's happening between the white lines. And yes, I know Medvedev was a big part of the men's side to be ousted here early on, but not a lot of juice. And hopefully that will change and the tide will turn as we get into the weekend and when we reconnect there on Monday to see where the tournament will stand after one week there at Roland Garros. And that'll do it, my good people. Yes, no NFL, nothing else percolating in any of the other sports, boxing, UFC. Maybe there's a big fight that I've overlooked that's coming up this weekend. But be sure that I will talk about it on Monday if that's the case. And if I forgot about it or did not give it enough attention, hand race high. But that's sports right now as we make that turn as I said from the very top, as I bookended with what's going on as far as the entire sports universe and the landscape, as it's going to start changing. As the series now dwindle down to both championship rounds. And after that, it's going to be nothing but what's happening on the diamond sprinkled with other stuff. So, you know, I got you covered. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for listening. Goes without saying how much I appreciate your participation, tuning in. Hopefully it's twice a week, or even if you're in and out sporadically, I don't care. As long as you're here, carving out time out of your busy schedule, it does not go unnoticed, and I sincerely appreciate it. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it, just to increase the visibility of this podcast, just like I mentioned at the very top. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, you can do so with the following. On YouTube, at JReels, TikTok. Instagram, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. Question, comment, suggestion, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. Lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, equipment to make this experience into the microphone, through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers, that much more pleasurable, enjoyable, entertaining, informative, because whether you do or do not know, 
This is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. I'm going to continue to pump out two podcasts a week. All the content that I have there on my socials, especially YouTube. I know TikTok and Instagram, I've fallen off there a little bit because I'm trying to concentrate on all these different platforms, especially Patreon. I know I got to up that as well. With nothing but fire, fury, passion, energy to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, feelings, critiques, praises on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>